Enjoy the convenience of seven days a week banking and extended hours with Cube from First Arkansas Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Went to Great Britain, it became coach. And what it was originally was something where people were waiting where they were that they wanted to get into to go to a desired destination. Wow, what a great title coach is. And I appreciate you doing it at your level where you've taken all of these young people to their desired destination, and you guys' job is to take advantage of it. So thank you, coaches, for what you've done. Appreciate Agreed. it. Agreed. Well, well said. So, uh, so Coach, you, we, we brought you here in 2005. Do you have any memory of coming here other than me not paying you for coming? Anything besides no, that? I mean, the buzz is appropriate more ways than one. We got radio the buzz, but we got the buzz going on here. I mean, everything's happening. Yes. It's the same way. And I do think you told me you were, wait a minute, what you told me your age is now, you must have been 15 then, right? <laughs> yes, time has passed. Of course, you also walked away with a Bulls War trophy. I'll never forget. So for those that you don't remember, it was a matter of fact, man, if you'll show number five, picture number five here, uh, this is a picture of you in the Bulls War when you were actually here uh, you, you, there, how about that? Well, look at that, look at that young guy right there. Heck, he was handsome. <laughs> what happened? So, so that's that was you were a finalist in the second year in 1997, and then you won it in 1998. That was a year that uh, obviously we'll get to it in a second where Arkansas beat Tennessee. I'm sorry, Tennessee beat Arkansas. I was I was dreaming that. Yes, that's what I wish you. So it should have happened. I'm kidding. Yeah, wishful thinking. Uh, but you became the head coach at Ole Miss. So this is a true story. So he becomes head coach at Ole Miss. In between when we announced him the winner of the Brawls Award. So who, who's your longtime SID that was there forever? Uh, at, at, Ole Miss, at Ole Miss. Oh, Ole Miss is Langston Rogers. So they just hired him at Ole Miss. So, so we said, well, you've got to come in. And, now, we had not announced him as a winner. I'm sorry. He'd been a finalist. So I called Langston. I said, Langston, I know that, that David has been hired as a new head coach. He's leaving Tennessee, head coach at Ole Miss. But we need to have him come in. He said, David, this is too busy a time for David. Too busy a time. He's got recruits. This is a new job. He said, if, if he's not going to win, he doesn't need to come. So this was the third year of the award, so I, I had to say, what is the correct answer? So I said, Langston, let me put it this way. To keep the integrity of the award where it needs it would well be worth his time to be here in Little Rock uh, or December, whatever. And you came in and you won the award, and that was a cool deal. And wh what do you recall? Of course, you've talked about the Johnny Majors connection with Coach Brules and Coach yeah. It was a significant, at that point in my career, that was the greatest award, the greatest thing that had happened to me individually. Obviously, there's so many great things as team, what I said, but Coach Broles influenced coaching so much more than people realize, and Johnny Majors was an assistant for him here in Arkansas, and that was our standard. No offense, but I got tired of hearing about Kenny Hatfield as a punt returner, okay? <laughs> I had punt return. I'm trying to meet, reach that standard. And I wanted to hit him when I ran into him, you know. <laughs> but Coach Broyles influenced a lot of us, and I developed a friendship. hate to tell you all this through Coach Royal. And later on in his life, I would go see him, and we would sit down for hours. And he still was trying to compete with Coach Broyles, believe me. Um, and, um, yeah, I just, I'm so fortunate to have been associated with those people, and that influenced my way of coaching. 
So I couldn't have been prouder uh, of winning that award. Of course, you grew up, for those who don't know, you grew up in Birmingham, Alabama. You're the heart of, of Tide Country and went to school in Alabama. What about the influence of Bear Bryant when you were going to school there? Well, I was huge, and Coach Bryant helped me make a decision to move into college coaching. I never had an intention. I was a high school head high school coach at too young of an age. And Coach Bryant said so many things through the years, and I've got incredible notes. I'm a good note taker. Um, Mal Moore, who sadly has passed away, I went down to Alabama recently, and one of the old heads said, you know what Coach Moore used to call you? And I said, what? A pest. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I bugged him. I wanted to learn everything they knew. But uh, Coach Bryant told me this, and I think this is true. I've shared this with my nephew and niece recently. He said, don't go into college coaching. Because John Majors had come and watched the practice and said, where do you learn how to coach like that? And I said, well, a lot of people. He said, I'm going to hire you after the season. Well, sure enough, he called. So I called Coach Bryant, Coach Moore, Ken Donahue, um, and I said, should I go to work for this man? He said, well, I, he's a good football coach. You'll learn. But he said, don't get into college coaching because you think you love the game or you love coaching. The only reason you should take this job is that you really feel that you can't live without it. And it's interesting about that time, the reason I had time in 2005, I ended up with triple bypass surgery. And uh, I came out of it slow, hard, had to take a year off, and everybody was telling me, if you go back into coaching, it's going to kill you. And I looked at my wife, and I had tears, just she and I, and I said, if I don't go back into coaching, it will kill me. I cannot live without it. And... Uh, that's the way I wish all coaches could feel, you know. So you, you come out of uh, uh, high school ranks in, in Alabama, and you go to work at Tennessee, and this is where you start your career. And one of the biggest things you did, Hannah, if you'll show uh, picture number one here, this is uh, so where it all started, where you started getting your reputation as the, the quarterback whisperer, if, uh, if you have that, Hannah, number one. Nope, that's not it. Well, listen, I don't know where Jim hey, is. There's no Jim. I know. I've played golf with him one time. Don't do it. Coach, he's the only he, he's the only touchdown club speaker that, when he came in from outside the, the parking lot out there, there was a smoke haze around him. Before was he came he barefooted? I know uh, he was not. He was okay, not. Okay, well he played golf barefooted. I'm not. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's what things. So let's talk about it until they get the picture right. You take that off if you want to. Talk about uh, Archie Manning, Peyton Manning coming to Tennessee. Well, that was an interesting time in recruiting. Um, I think. You know, this time, by this time, Phillip's the head coach, and he thinks I'm crazy. Um, but Peyton and I hit it off from day one. The hard sell was not as much Archie as it was Olivia, who was the homecoming queen at Ole Miss. And Cooper, the older one, had behaved and gone to Ole Miss. And uh, everybody's telling me I'm, I'm absolutely crazy. But obviously, Peyton made a decision to come. There's two cute things. Uh, well, one cute and one a great compliment to Archie. So when finally Olivia realized, okay, David and Peyton are soulmates, okay, she said, David, do me one favor. And I said, yes, ma'am. Keep Peyton's uniform clean. <laughs> Archie was in the dirt all the time. <laughs> yes, ma'am. And so I call that today, I'm a, I'm a get the ball out in 2.8 seconds guy. I coached in the SEC. 
And that's about the average of what you get or you're going to have something bad happen. So you build your passing game not around yards but about timing. So when I've gone on in my career, I, like to, I don't like to give dissertations like I'm doing now on a practice field. If a player held the ball at quarterback, he was going to hear, Olivia Manning, and he knew exactly what he had done wrong. Um, so that, that was a constant. And then people ask me about Archie. Well, two things. This one's kind of funny. So in, in that era, once they signed, you could go down and start coaching him. And I went to New Orleans to coach Peyton because I knew he was eager and hungry. And Archie said, can I sit in? I said, sure. I am the only coach that has ever put Archie Manning soundly to sleep <laughs> on the couch. I'm coaching Peyton, and he literally starts snoring. <laughs> what a great coach I am, you know. So, but I will say this about Archie Manning. He was the best, and I don't mean this ugly toward anybody, but he was the best quarterback dad that I had ever been involved with or ever will be because he respected the fact that they were being coached by me and he didn't need to interfere with that relationship. And he knew that I had their trust. And actually the thing in coaching I may be most proud of is that he trusted Peyton with me. And after that test run, he trusted the next one with me. Right, Eli. So you can't get a better better compliment. Did, did you know Did you know, Coach, when you were around Peyton immediately, six foot five, you know, the, the, uh, there, obviously there's one of the pictures. That's a young Peyton right there. Young Archie. Is he young, I must say that's a young Archie too. Was it, it, it didn't take you very long to realize this guy's going to be, you know, maybe one of the greats? Yeah, it was, it was a different era. So he came in in the summer and had to pay his way to school. You couldn't put people on scholarship until August. So he comes in and I couldn't meet with him, and I'm, you know, I'm not patting myself on the back, but I'm not a rule breaker. I don't want to teach young people that it's okay to rules are for somebody else. But I told him to fill a notebook up with questions, and then get me the notebook, and I could write down, and then he could glance through it. And he's, he's watching videotape in that era, VHS tape, and he brings me three notebooks. And I'm like, okay. And I spent hours trying to answer those questions, and they were all spot on amazing. So I knew then this is a different guy. Um, he also did something that I've never had another quarterback. I had to change his grip. I didn't like his grip. And so he is an amazing athlete. People think of athletes as speed or fast or juking. His footwork and his ability to take the I'm, – I'm a believer in the nose of the ball has to be up. You throw a football with your fingers, not your hand. I mean, you got to have space. You don't want your hand touching a ball. And he became so accurate quickly. But nobody can master that as quickly as he did unless you're a great athlete. So people get confused as to what a skilled athlete is. Yeah. You don't have to run 4-2 right. to be a great athlete. Thank goodness for you and I. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's it. Well, let me ask you this. So, you know, you have a great career there. Peyton has a great career. Doesn't win the national championship. No. Uh, but so you go on to 98, and T. Martin comes in. <laughs> and um, uh, unbelievable game there at uh, on the river there in uh, Knoxville. 
Uh, we have to go there. I, for Razorback fans, I had to show this, but uh, this was obviously the game, 1998, that uh, sort of – propelled uh, Tennessee to the national championship. If we're ready for that, uh, guys, let's punch up that video, which is uh, number four. Now, let's go ahead and go to number four. You have that. Okay. If not, you'll have to describe it. Well, we're going to have to have a center, <laughs> Clint Sterner, and I'm going to be uh, Billy, and, and I'll hit the center and knock him into you. We can replay it. So, Coach, it's fun for me. What do y'all think? Can I hit him? <laughs> so, Coach, sounds like we're having a problem back there. So, so it looked like Arkansas had this game won, and you had a situation where Clint Sterner drops back with a minute to go. Steps, uh, I think Brandon Burleson steps on his foot. Arkansas had a chance to close that out there. What, what do you remember about that game? Well, first of all, we had played really poorly offensively, and Houston had done a great job in the defensive staff, and – they were a great team, uh, obviously, you could tell by the record. But it, it, it shows you what an individual can do. Billy Ratliff was from Magnolia, Mississippi. We had recruited him from down there and a no name. There was no stars associated. But on that play, he's the one that was the nose guard that hit the lineman hard enough. Yeah, Brandon. Stepped back, knocked him back, stepped on Sterner's foot. If you've ever had a ball in your hand trying to regain your balance and there's a lot of weight and momentum, that ball comes loose and Billy Ratliff recovered the fumble. And then that's just part of the story. Philip knew we hadn't played well and he gets on the headset. We got to throw it every down. We got, we're not really running the ball. I said, no, we're not throwing the ball a single down. I got those offensive players over there, and I said, there'll be no throws. You ran, you ran it every play on that drive to score. it every single play, and we're going to win this football game because all of you are destined to be undefeated, and I don't want to hear anything else about it. So we handed the ball off and went down the field and scored. So as bad as that was for all the Razorback fans and those players, and I feel for them, and for Houston as well, that was earned. That was not just a gift. And people don't see that sometimes. That, and, and I still talk to Billy Ratliff, you know. Um, wow. I mean, I get emotional for him because nobody really ever gave him the due that he deserved for what he accomplished on one single play that did allow us to move forward and win a national championship. You win the national championship, you get the opportunity to coach at Ole Miss. First, uh, first order of business: get Eli Manning to come to Ooh. come to, uh, to to Oxford for sure. And I'd been recruiting him to Tennessee, hoping he would follow Peyton. And as it went on, he told me, he "said Coach, I, I just don't want to follow Peyton." So what he was going to do was either go to Virginia or Texas, and I was convinced it was Texas. So we played Vanderbilt to finish the regular season undefeated, and I go to the locker room and look at my phone and it is being blown up by the chancellor at the University of Mississippi. I had no idea that Tommy Tuberville had left during the night, so to speak, you know. And I called him back and he said, we want you to be the next head coach at the University of Mississippi. I mean, I didn't know what to say. He said, oh, this is Dr. Kayak. Yes. We want you to be the next head football coach at the University of Mississippi. I said, okay. 
I never asked them what they were going to pay me. I should have learned that lesson from Coach Majors, what he paid me. But so the first thing I did in the bus on the way back to Knoxville was call Archie. And yes, first call. I called no. Eli, and then I called Olivia to make sure she still didn't hate me for Peyton going to Tennessee. And I and I told Olivia, I said, Olivia, we can get it right this time. And she said, Yes, we can. And so then I called Eli, and I said, Eli, all bets are off. You're coming to Ole Miss, and I don't want to hear anything else about it. And your mama and daddy both agree a thousand percent with me. So fastest recruiting job I've ever done, and that that, that endears you with the fans, obviously, to get to, to get Eli to tell me. Yeah, and and it was it was a great start. Um, we didn't have much. We had a building called the UMAA building. We didn't have a video center. We had to have our coaches meetings up there, and then we had to put VHS tapes in a egg crate and carry them down to another building by the stadium where we could meet with our players. And we had two locker rooms, and I took the guy building our house and at my own expense improved both locker rooms. Wilson Roberts, rest in peace, Wilson, he gave me a good deal. But it was embarrassing. And we found a way, again, collectively, with a lot of people that wanted to be great teammates, including coaches that we hired, and the players that we recruited. And so that, that's what football can be. And that's a program. You're not trying to have a great team. You're trying to build a great program, which is more and more what we're losing in the era of everything going on in college football. Which we're going to get that in just a second. I don't know, Chris, RJ, I don't know if we have video of the seven. So here's the deal. You've got two connections to Arkansas as a coach. One is the, the, the fumble, you know, that led to, you know, obviously winning the national championship. So paybacks are hell. I know. So so we had we had Matt Jones and Eli Manning here at the Touchdown Club a couple years ago. It was the 20th anniversary of the seven overtime game, uh, which you were the head coach. Let's just if we if we've got that ready, let's try punching it up. This is the last player. I I don't know why he didn't throw it to Shane Andrews. No, no, that's not that's not it. That's not it. That's okay. Listen, this looks like the Razorback offense is sometimes right there. I'm sorry. No, we don't want to do that. So just just stop it. So, coach, what happens on the um, the overtime? You go, you, you go. Who's this Matt Jones guy? We keep putting. They keep putting. I had no idea who he was, and I'm telling you, I'm lucky that I'm not a person that carries a firearm <laughs> because I may have shot him on that <laughs> night. It was an unbelievable. Have you ever seen anything like that? I mean, no. he was a freshman nobody knew about. Yeah. Performance yeah. that you didn't know who this guy was, what, why. <laughs> Seven overtimes, and people wonder why you have a limited. Now you go to two point plays to decide it. And I told these guys earlier, always you try to be prepared as a coach. I learned this from Coach Bryant. He uh, he, he would write down on Wednesday night what you say to your team if you win. He would write down what he would say if, if we lost. And then he would write down in this era what he would say if we tied. And then he had a category that I had forgotten about called heartbreaker. Well, I was prepared, as I always was, for after the game. But I, I, I so vaguely remember walking off that 
field into silence and going over and, and you know, headed into the locker room, um, I, I didn't have any idea what to say. I couldn't find it. I'm thinking, Coach Bryant, help me. Coach Majors, help me. Any, and I never came up with anything. And so I was out of gas. And all I told them was, said, guys, I have nothing that I can tell you to make you feel better. I don't have words. I want you to have a real slow night. All of us need to go to bed where we can be in a position tomorrow to talk about this moving forward. And, um, and, and, and it hurt us. It set us back. But it was a great lesson for all of us. It didn't end our year. And we were able to fight back and, and win. But uh, Matt Jones, wherever you are, <laughs> wow. But I will say this. Everybody wants to moan about officiating. Standing right next to the receiver was Shane Andrews, the big offensive lineman. Y'all remember how big he was? Yes, we did. And the officials couldn't see that that was an offensive lineman downfield. Eight yards deep in the end zone. Coach, coach is going to the reps, going to the call. Well, I, didn't, <laughs> I, I did not know until I watched the film that night that that even happened. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you just shake your head. Another thing Coach Bryant told me, and I don't know if you all would agree with this or not, but he, he said, as a head football coach, don't waste any of your energy on officiating. He said, number one, you, you represent a lot of fine people on that sideline. Number two, as a head coach, when you lose it, you're taking energy from every player and every coach on your staff. Be the big man. Do not waste your energy. And I live that, and I have old SEC officials, and I'm proud of this, come up to me and said, Coach, you were the best coach to work with that I can remember. And they didn't get them all right. But guess what? If y'all would hear me, hear me on the headsets, how many I missed, you know, so. So the great thing that you did, you, you won 10 games for the first time in 32 years at Ole Miss. Yep. Uh, you, after you leave Ole Miss, you go to Duke, and you win 10 games. I think I saw the first 10-game winners in 100 years. Did I read it, that? It was, Listen to this. I think the, forever. The first 10-game winner at Duke in, in football in 100 years. I mean, that is absolutely amazing. Steve Spurrier was there before you, did a good job. But you were able to do some amazing things at Duke. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Steve, my brother played with Steve at Florida. And so when I got the job, Steve called me and said, well, congratulations, I think. He said, just try to win more than you lose if you can. I'm like, oh, yeah, boy, I'm fired <laughs> up. And they had won 10 games in the previous eight years. Combined. Yeah. And uh, wow. 20, I think it was 21 in the previous 15. Uh, it's a basketball school. It's a basketball well, that's Coach, what, Coach K's there, you know. No question. And I had our coaches that I hired, I gave them travel gear that said Duke football. And everywhere we went, we got asked, Duke plays football? <laughs> yeah, we, we try to. Uh, amazing, amazing legacy, Coach. Uh, but now you're with the SEC. Some may not know this. I think your title is Special Liaison? No, Special Assistant to the Commissioner for Football Relations. Doesn't that sound like Dwight Schrute's job? <laughs> I, I thought so. <laughs> what, is that, what does that mean, Coach? It, I, just, I took it myself and said relations is short for relationship. Yes. 
So I build relationships at all of our schools. I go into a facility and I want to meet everybody that's involved in the football program. I'm not worried about going rubbing elbows with the head coaches. First place I go is the equipment room. Because yeah. if you look at every college program, and many of you wouldn't understand it, but those guys in the equipment room, are, the equipment room is always next to the locker room. Right. And they know everything that's happening in that program. And it's amazing to get the information I get. And they know I'm an old coach, so they talk to me. And I've also made it a point to try to help them all I can. And um, so I have a couple of equipment guys. I'm more proud of this than anything else. They've put my picture up in the equipment room <laughs> because I've taken some things they didn't like doing away from me. So. <laughs> so, Coach, you know, it's a different world just in the last three or four years when you got out of coaching. Yep. Um, you know, us old school folks, you know, as a former player back in the 80s, not a big fan of what's happening. You're in it now. So what's, what's your assessment of where we are with NIL, transfer portal, and such? Well, I think it's dangerous. I was a part – I served on the football oversight committee as a coach. I was the only coach on this when name, image, and likeness was being tossed around. And as I listened to them describe the athlete being an independent to this and they could get their own agent and, you know, they could make money their own way. And I stopped them. I said, excuse me, I've got to interrupt you all. This is commissioners, ADs, presidents. And I said, have any of you on this Zoom ever recruited? No. So let me tell you something. This is going to be the wild, wild west. This is going to open up opportunities for players to be bought like never in the history of the game. No, it's not. That's illegal. Okay, you know. And so what I think we can do is claw it a little bit. We also escalated the calendar. You all wouldn't remember how slow the recruiting process is. And I think it's important from a player perspective. Everything, I don't feel sorry for coaches. I really don't. Don't whine, please. Don't whine. I don't. I'm not a fan of that. I'm a fan of looking at how we're affecting student athletes. Everything has gotten so fast. People are making decisions on juniors in high school, and y'all may think that's great. Oh, he can play. Well, he may can play, but can he play in our culture? Does he fit our needs? Is this a guy we're signing? that we're going to stay with and develop. And then the player. Is this, my, my mother told me this, don't choose places, choose people. And if you start choosing money, even instead of places, I had a, I had a, I talked to prospects at the time just to educate myself. I had a really national prospect tell me, he said, Coach, I've got all my official visits set up. I'm going to start with the one that's known to give the best front end name, image, and likeness offers. And once I have that, then I know it's going to escalate. And then I can get to the place where it's going to pay me the most money. And I couldn't even correct him. I, I, it, it broke my heart. So we need to find a way to adjust the calendar, which keeps us out of the courtroom. Um, we can do that. And that we slow it down and we invest in young people at a, a rate where we're trying to develop them rather than run them off or 
you know, send them off in the portal or go grab another one. How would you like to be a guy that's a third-year offensive guard and he's finally gotten become a starter in spring practice, has worked like crazy, and then all of a sudden after spring ball they go get a guard yeah, out transfer. of the portal and when they come back in August he's a backup again and that guard's the starter. I, I don't care for that. So, Coach, Coach, let me ask you this: right. can, can this, can anything change it without the NCAA? Is mm-hmm. they, they they've sort of checked out. They, 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 well, just remember it, who the NCAA is again. It's institutions, right? They work for us, right? So, you, you, we we can do something about it, but I listen the NCAA. to the lawyers. Well, through the courts. That's why you hear r- rumors of going to politicians nationally and one of the problems and no offense to anybody is when we start doing laws per state and that's happening everywhere because state legislators don't want to get caught behind right and you want to be able to recruit and I understand all of that but where does winning at all cost stop when can we get back to teaching values to young people? And I know I'm an old romantic when it comes to what college football should be. But I'm looking and I'm writing. I like to write. I write a lot. Um, I'm looking at every avenue out of the courtroom that maybe we can slow it down. I mean, slowing it down is better than doing nothing, right? I mean, so that's my focus right now. Greg Sankey's brilliant, and he realizes if this thing continues, that there's not an unlimited amount of money, folks, no matter what you think about, you know, things that you read recently. There's not. And what football and television money has allowed us to do is to have other great programs in all the Olympic sports. And young people are getting educated and getting their dreams built. If this goes on, you're going to see a reduction in money that can be spent in those areas. You'll see the United States hurt in Olympic sports, in the Olympic Games. I mean, it's, this is real. So it's, it's serious business for serious people. And it's the only reason I agreed to take the job when Commissioner talked to me. I said, Commissioner, I'm not going to stay quiet. I may rub you and may rub other folks wrong, but you're hiring a football coach. <laughs> Okay, I'm not an administrator, and I'm not going to become an administrator. But I'm willing to fight. If something is worth fighting for, by gosh, go fight for it. That's the bottom line. So that's where we are, and it's hard. Well, I think if this guy's out there fighting for college football, I think that's a good thing. David Cutcliffe, everybody. Coach, great job. Thank you.